0: We are continuing our series on the book of Ephesians, New Humanity, New Life, New Guideline, New Relationships. Today's message is in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, entitled, The Secret Unveiled. We all love mysteries. And there is something about human beings that causes us to be fascinated about something hidden, which needs to be discovered or revealed. I find this fact it's especially true when I tell our kids, you know what? I have a secret, but of course, they would do their best and convince me to tell them what the secret is all about. In the same way, God understands us so thoroughly that he has hidden mysteries in many areas of our lives. We do not know everything fully, and there is always an element we don't understand. Because these mysteries make life fascinating, because they move us to seek the answer to our curiosity and the thrill it gives us with the joy of discovery. And here in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us about God's great mystery. And it is a secret that God had kept hidden in the past, but now this secret has been unveiled. Let's read our passage, Ephesians 3, 1-13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light bodies the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. This is quite a long passage, but here is the summary of our lesson today. God made us stewards of the work of preaching the Gospel of God's grace to unite all believers to be one in Christ. Therefore, let us pursue unity in Christ with an attitude of humility, service, and sacrifice. God made us stewards of the work of preaching the Gospel of God's grace to unite all believers to be one in Christ. Therefore, let us pursue unity in Christ with an attitude of humility, service, and sacrifice. Let's unpack this truth. Here again in verse one, we see Paul open this section with these words, for this reason. What was Paul referring here? Paul was talking about what he mentioned in the previous chapters. Let's have a quick review. In chapter one, he said, God gave us every spiritual blessing in Christ. In chapter two, he said, God made us alive in Christ and God reconciled the Jews and the Gentiles in Christ. Given this reason, Paul was moved again to pray for the Ephesians just as he had done in verses 15 to 23 of chapter 1. Now, why do we say this? See the connection of chapter 3, verse 1, and verse 14. Given these reasons, Paul was moved again to pray for the Ephesians just as he had done in verses 15 to 23 of chapter 1. Why do we say this? See the connection of chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 3, verse 14. Paul said, for this reason, that's the key phrase. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul was actually about to pray for the Gentiles. And this is the connection that you will see in verse 14. Again, that key phrase, for this reason, Paul picked up his original thought and continued. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Now, what happened from verses 1 to 13? 13. You see, in verse 1, Paul was ready to start his prayer, but then he suddenly changed the topic and digressed when he came to the word Gentile. See verse 1 again. There's that dash after the word Gentile. The hyphen at the end of this verse points to Paul's reflection on the word Gentile, which runs from verses 2 to 13. In the original Greek, this section is actually one long sentence. As Paul mentioned about being a prisoner of Christ for the sake of Gentiles, he couldn't help but to defer his prayer and first talk about these two things. What is that? First, it's about his ministry. And second, is God's mystery. And let's take a closer look at each. The first, Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry. In this passage, we can see how Paul views himself in several ways. First, he sees himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, a prisoner of the Lord. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul repeated this again in chapter 4, verse 1, by saying, I, the prisoner of the Lord. And Paul meant this literally. Scripture records, Paul goes to prison at least seven different times. And as mentioned last time, Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians when he was imprisoned in Rome. But think about it. Yes, Paul was a prisoner of the Roman government awaiting his trial before Nero, but Paul never once said that he's a prisoner of Caesar. Instead, he would always say, I'm a prisoner of Christ, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. Why is this so? You see, from Paul's perspective, Caesar was not the one who had the final say as to what would happen to him. Jesus did. For Paul, it was Jesus who would ultimately decide if Paul would go to prison or if Paul would get his freedom, and not Caesar nor the Roman government. After all, Jesus is Lord and he is the true king, not Caesar. You see, for Paul, Jesus is his Lord and master even in prison, and he believes that it was God and not Nero who is ultimately in control. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. If he allows me to be in jail, that means he wants me to serve him through this prison ministry. I can write letters to encourage the churches and I can win Roman guards to Christ. You see, if an average person had met Paul, he would probably think very little of him. There's nothing impressive nor inspiring about Paul. And he's just another prisoner awaiting trial. Now we'll see later that some efficient believers were already losing their heart because of Paul's situation. Just imagine that your senior pastor is always in prison and suffering. How would you feel? Some of you would probably be discouraged, and some of you might also feel embarrassed for having a leader who's always in prison. And Paul knew about this possibility, and that is why he encouraged the people that he leads. Remember what Paul said to Timothy, his protege and son in the faith. 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, verse 1 to 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. And here is a similar message that Paul told the Ephesians. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Now, here's the point Paul saw himself and his circumstances as part of God's greater plan. Paul saw himself and his circumstances as Part of God's greater plan, and he did not want the Ephesians to feel sorry for him. Instead, he wanted them to realize that it was for their benefit that he was a prisoner. Paul willingly paid the price of hardship and suffering to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Friends, how about you? How do you see yourself and your life? Do you also view yourself as a prisoner of Christ? Ask yourself these questions and check your heart. Am I willing to suffer for the Lord? Am I ready to serve Christ and his people, even if it costs me my comfort, convenience, and even freedom of choice? Am I prepared to follow Jesus, even if it means giving up my life, personal goals, and dreams? Friends, Christianity is not a religion of convenience. Christianity is a costly relationship. Jesus calls us to follow him, but at the same time, he calls us to count the cost and be ready to give up our lives for God and others. I pray that you and I will be like Paul, That all of us would see ourselves as prisoners of the Lord Jesus. And as prisoners of Christ, we are not free to do anything. We are not free to do anything that we want, but only what is pleasing to Him. Friends, as you go through these difficulties during this pandemic, may you realize that God is ultimately in control. As painful circumstances stretch your faith to the limits, may you not forget that you are part of God's greater plan. Like Paul, let us do our best to serve God in whatever situation we are in. After all, Jesus is Lord, and he is our true master and king. So may God help us. Next, Paul also sees himself as God's steward, as a steward of God's grace. Verse two, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. The word stewardship here is the term economia in Greek, which would also translate in English as economy. It means to rule over a household or to be a steward or manager of another person's property. Paul is saying here that God has given him a special responsibility. And what is that? Let's look at these verses. Verse 1 to 2. For the sake of you Gentiles, the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. Verse 6 to 7. Through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. In verse 13, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. From these verses, Paul tells the Ephesians about the stewardship or the special ministry that God gave him. First, Paul said that God called him to be a minister or the servant of the gospel. And what was he supposed to do? To bring God's gift of grace through preaching the good news. Now, to whom Paul should preach? Notice what Paul emphasized here in verses 1 to 2 for you, for the sake of you, Gentiles, or the non-Jewish people. And that Gentile group includes us today. Paul is saying that God made him a steward of the work of preaching the gospel of God's grace to the Gentiles. As we've learned last time, God's grace is about God giving us what we don't deserve. In chapter 2, Paul told us this gospel of grace is that we are dead in our sins, rebels, disobedient to God, and deserving God's wrath. But instead of punishing us, God forgave our sins and made us his beloved children and gave us eternal life through Christ. And now here in chapter 3, Paul said God gave him this task of proclaiming this good news of grace, particularly to the Gentiles. Now on one hand, Paul's ministry is unique. God has especially appointed him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. After God encountered Paul and blinded him on the Damascus road, the Lord led Paul to Ananias to restore his sight. And this is what God said to Ananias, Acts 9. But the Lord said to him, "'Go, for he is the chosen instrument of mine "'to bear my name before the Gentiles "'and kings and the sons of Israel, "'for I will show him how much he must suffer "'in behalf of my name.'" God has uniquely assigned Paul to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul was faithful to his calling all his life. And that is why the Ephesians who were mostly Gentiles came to know about Christ. And because of Paul's obedience and sacrifice, the gospel has been preached even us, even to us Gentiles in the 21st century. Even now, many Gentiles continue to hear about the gospel of God's grace through the New Testament letters that Paul wrote. So praise God for Paul's life. On the other hand, Paul's calling is also our calling. His calling is also our calling. Listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature and the old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And what is this ministry of reconciliation? Verses 19 to 20 continues. Namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How? Not counting their trespasses against them and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us we beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God notice that Paul used the words we and us and says we are ambassadors for Christ as ambassadors for Christ you and i are to represent our lord Jesus while he is in his own country and that is heaven and while we are staying here in this host country which is earth And what are we supposed to do? As ambassadors of our Lord Jesus, we are to represent him through our words and deeds. We represent Christ as we make disciples of all tongues, tribes, and nations. We represent Christ as we proclaim the gospel. Now the question is, are you a good and faithful ambassador of our Lord? Brothers and sisters, reflect on your life. Are you a faithful ambassador of our Lord Jesus Christ, or are you an Christian? See, this is something. Uh, this is a new term that I just heard and found out. An asimto Christian is a person who says that he is a follower of Jesus Christ, but there is no trace or clear evidence in his life, lifestyle. In Taglish, yung sabi niya Christian siya pero walang bakas at hindi halata sa lifestyle niya. Again, friends, do you eagerly represent Christ to your family, classmates, co-workers, and customers, or are you ashamed of the gospel of our Lord? Are you a faithful ambassador of our Lord Jesus Christ or not? So may God help us. Look again at what Paul said in verse 7. Let me read this in the NIV. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Most of the time we say that salvation is God's gift to us and ministry is the gift we give back to God. But this statement is inaccurate. As Paul mentioned, serving in ministry is not a gift that he gives back to God. Instead, the gospel ministry he received is also God's gift of grace to him. In other words, Paul is saying, God gave us both the gift of salvation and the gift of ministry by his grace. We have been saved by grace and it is also by grace that we have been called to serve God and to serve his people. After we accept Jesus in our lives, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit comes and resides with us. And actually, the Holy Spirit resides within us. And God's Spirit is the one who gives us the supernatural spiritual gifts that empowers us to help build God's kingdom. And this action of the Spirit is the working of God's power that Paul refers to in verse 7. Now, here's another set of questions to reflect on. What are you doing with the gift of ministry, That God has given you? Are you using your spiritual gifts to serve others and build up the body of Christ? Are you a faithful steward of God's grace that He has entrusted you? Thirdly, Paul sees himself as the least of the saints. Not only as a prisoner of Christ, not only as a steward of God's grace, but also the least of all the saints. Verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. We all know about the great things that Paul has accomplished for God's kingdom. He received grand visions and revelations from God. And yet, Paul's life and ministry were marked by humility. Just look at how he described himself here. He said, I am the least of all the saints. This claim isn't false humility. You see, Paul did not forget his busy days. His days before Christ, he did not forget how he violently persecuted the church, and yet God gave him mercy and forgiveness. Not only that, God also gave Paul a special assignment to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Paul was just overwhelmed and humbled as he reflected on this reality. And here's another point. The more Paul understood God's grace as he served God, the more humble he became. Look at how he viewed himself through the years. In AD 55, when he wrote wrote the letter to the Corinthians, he said, I am the least of the apostles. And six years later, in AD 61, he wrote the letter to the Ephesians, and then he said, I am the least of all the saints. And then five years later, he wrote to his prodigy, Timothy, when he was again in prison and said, I am the worst of sinners. Think about it. From being an apostle, Paul continuously lowered his view of himself from the least of the apostles to the least of the saints to the worst of sinners. From the apostles to saints to sinners. And this is something that reflects Paul's humility. Why? Because the more Paul knew God and understood his grace, the more he realized that he is undeserving. Your family and friends, how about us? How do we view ourselves? Do, do people see that we are becoming more and more humble like Christ the longer we follow God? Or is it the opposite? Is it that the longer we serve God, the more we feel entitled and we expect others that uh, they should admire us? Are we growing in humility or not? May God help us. You see, humility is an evidence of the spiritual growth and Christian maturity, and I pray that you and I will continue to grow in this area. We will talk more about humility in the Christian walk when we go to Ephesians chapters 4-6. to Now let's go to our second point, God's mystery. God's mystery. In verse 1, Paul cut his initial train of thought to share how he received not just God's grace of salvation, but also God's grace of ministry, and this ministry is connected to God's mystery. Paul said in verse 3 to 4 and let me read this in the NLT as briefly I wrote earlier Paul here may be referring to another letter that he wrote before or perhaps he refers to something what he wrote in chapters 1 and 2 he said as I briefly wrote earlier God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me as you read what I have written you will understand my insight into this mysterious plan regarding Christ Paul says that he trusted that the Ephesians would understand what he wrote about this mysterious plan that God had revealed to him. Then verse 9, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. A key word in Ephesians 3 is the word mystery, and Paul repeated this word three times in this chapter and a total of six times in the whole letter. The Greek word for mystery is the word mysterion. In the ancient world, Mystery was often referred to something which is known, but only by a few elite people. During the time of Paul, the Ephesians would heard the word mysterion and connect it to the mystery religions at that time. Now, these mystery religions taught that certain doctrine and knowledge was given only to its initiated members. This mystery or secret cults believed that only the worthy and the proven initiates could access this special knowledge. This meaning is what Paul used in his letter to the Colossians. But there's another way to use the word mystery here in Ephesians. It can refer to something which has been previously unknown but is now revealed. And this is the word that Paul used here in this letter. God's mystery is something that God kept hidden or secret in the past but is now revealed. Let's look at verses 3 to 5. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed this mysterious plan to me. God did not reveal it to the previous generations, but now, by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Now, what is this mystery? Notice several things that Paul said about this mystery. First, Paul emphasized that this mystery was not something that he made up. Second, this mystery was not something that Paul figured out by himself because he was brilliant. And Third, instead, Paul made it clear that God himself revealed this mystery to him. And another thing, Paul pointed out that God kept this plan secret in the past, and no one in the Old Testament times, not even the great prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Elijah knew this plan. But now, in Paul's time after Christ ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came down during Pentecost, God has unveiled this secret plan. God has revealed this mystery by his Spirit, and he showed it to the Apostle Paul, but not just to him, but also to those other holy apostles and the prophets, as verse 5 tells us. God also gave this special revelation to his other apostles and the other New Testament prophets through the Holy Spirit. And through these apostles and prophets, God is revealing his mystery to everyone. This mystery that was used to be hidden, but is now no longer a secret. And why is this so? Because it is something that God wants for everyone to know. God wants us to tell it to as many people as we can. This mystery God has revealed during Paul's time and God wants us to continue telling it to others, even at the present. And that is why God calls us to proclaim this secret, this mystery that God has now revealed. And what is the secret and mystery that God has now revealed? Verse 6 tells us, To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In Greek, these three adjectives, fellow heirs, fellow partakers, and fellow members of the body, all begin with the prefix sin or sun, that means together or with. The point is that Gentiles now equally share with the Jews in the rich inheritance that God gives to his children, to those who believe the good news. Both Jews and Gentiles are now part of the same body and both will fully enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. In other words, there will be no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. You see, God's mystery was more than just saving the Gentiles. God's secret plan all along is the complete union of the Jews and Gentiles in Christ. In other words, God's aim is to unite all believers, the Jews and the Gentiles, including us, and be one with Christ. Now, to better appreciate this plan, let's look at how the Jews relate with the Gentiles. In the time of Jesus and Paul, Jewish people viewed the Gentiles as pagan worshipers and considered them as unclean because they were idol worshipers and did not have God's law. In terms of access to the temple, there are four different courts and varying levels of hierarchy. First is the court of the priests. The Jewish priests are the closest to the altar and the main temple and the holy of holies. Next in line are the Jewish men. They worship in the court of Israel, the Jewish men. And then next in line is at the lower portion of the inner court, which is the court of women. And this area is for the Jewish women and the poor. So this is the setup during that time. Now, where are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are outside the inner court. They are staying in the outer court. The farthest court from the main temple is the court of the Gentiles, which is already at the outward courtyard. This area is the place where Gentiles and the con- those converted to Judaism are allowed to worship. This physical setup for the temple worship highlights that Gentiles are outsiders while the Jews are the insiders. Notice the high dividing walls between the outer court of the Gentiles and the inner court of the Jews. You see this is the view of the Jews. The Gentiles are outsiders and the Jews are the insiders. The Jews grew up believed that they were special, they were chosen by God, and they are the people favored by the Lord. They've memorized passages like Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are in the face of the earth. God indeed chose the Jews, but they miss the whole point. They only focus on the privilege of being chosen by God, but they overlook their responsibility, and have forgotten the reason why God chose them in the first place. As the prophet Isaiah said, Israel is to be the Lord's servant who serves God, and Israel is God's witness and as a light to the Gentiles. It says in Isaiah, You, Israel, are my witness, declares the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. I will also make you a light to the nations, so that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. You see, God chose Israel so that they can be a channel of God's salvation to the earth. But because Israel failed in its mission to faithfully bring God's salvation to the nations, the Lord Jesus Christ came to complete and fulfill this mission and bring about God's redemption to all people of the world. And through Christ's death on the cross, he reconciled the Jews and the Gentiles, and God bridged the gap between the two groups as Paul said in Ephesians 2:14 for he Jesus Christ our lord he himself is our peace who made both one and broke down the dividing barrier or the middle wall of separation Christ is now the new temple and both Jews and Gentiles and all of us today can now boldly approach God's throne of grace and this is what Paul mentioned in Ephesians 3:11 to 12 that we can come boldly with confidence before God's throne through Christ our lord through faith. Now think about the significance of unity. First, it cost Jesus his life. To establish unity, Jesus sacrificed his life and died for it. Next, it cost Paul his comfort and freedom. To preach the message of unity, Paul suffered and was imprisoned for it. As one writer said, if Paul had been content to be a Jewish Christian with a mission to the Jews or if he had been willing to keep the Gentiles on a lower plane or in a subordinate position, he would not have been in jail. But praise God for Paul. Paul gladly gave up his freedom for the sake of the Gentiles like us. And because of his sacrifice, you and I have heard the gospel of grace. And we are no longer outsiders, but we are now part of God's people as insiders in his family. Now, think about this. How serious are we in pursuing the unity in the body of Christ? Are you willing to make sacrifices for the sake of that unity? And are you ready to give up your comfort, your freedom, to embrace the people you consider as outsiders? Just think about it. In our context today, these outsiders could be fellow believers of different ethnicities, cultures, personalities, social classes, or financial status. It could also be fellow Christians who does not share our perspective on specific issues and non-essential doctrines, or perhaps disputable matters on political stance and medical preferences. Again, the question is, are you willing to love and share your life with your fellow Christians despite their differences with us? May God help us. Church, let us not forget our calling. God made us his stewards of the work of preaching the gospel of grace to unite all believers to be one in Christ. Therefore, let us pursue unity in Christ with an attitude of humility, service, and sacrifice. Let us remember that our Lord Jesus Christ died for the unity of the church, and Paul the Apostle also suffered and gave his freedom to serve the Gentiles on behalf of Christ. Now, this leads us to our next point and the purpose of this mystery. What is the purpose of this mystery? Ephesians 3, 10 to 12. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have the boldness and confidence access through faith in him. You see, God's purpose for this mystery of uniting the Jews and the Gentiles is to display his manifold wisdom, and that is to display his manifold wisdom. The word manifold carries the idea of intricacy, complexity, and great beauty. It's like a beautiful crown that has exquisite jewels. You see, God shows his incredible beauty of his wisdom and eternal purpose through his plan of salvation through Christ. Now, to whom will God make his wisdom known? Who is God's target audience? Let's look at the verse. To the rulers in the heavenly places. To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. These are angelic beings, both faithful angels and the fallen ones. And how will God reveal his wisdom? It is said through the church. That is through God's word in the church. In other words, God is the teacher. The students are the angels. The lesson plan is the manifold wisdom of God. And the illustration is us, the church. Now think about it. Isn't it amazing to realize that God teaches us lessons or teaches lessons about him through us, his church? As one author said, the history of the Christian church becomes a graduate school for angels. The history of the Christian church becomes a graduate school for angels. And this reality is what the other apostles affirm as the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more. They wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preach in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And it is also so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Remember, like us, angels are not all-knowing. They don't know everything. Angels, too, are learning about God and his people as time goes on. How? By watching us, by watching the church. No wonder Jesus said that the angels rejoice when they see a sinner turn away from sin. They celebrate because it's a reflection of God's manifold wisdom and his greatness in the lives of his people. But the question is, What are we teaching the angels today? Think about it. What are we teaching the angels today? Are we showing them the beauty of God's wisdom through our love and unity as a church? Or are the angels disappointed by our factions and divisions? Do they admire us for our humility, for our patience and kindness to one another? Or are they appalled by our pride and anger and unwholesome words? Remember, we display god's greatness even to the unseen world even to the world of the spirits and the angels and we are displaying god's greatness and his wisdom through the salvation and the unity of the church so may god help us now we know that the unity of the church of the jews and the gentile is significant to god how then do we pursue this oneness that is what we will cover when we go to ephesians chapter 4 so i hope that you can join us again when the time comes. For now, let us remember this lesson. God made us towards the work of preaching the gospel of God's grace to unite all believers to be one in Christ. Therefore, let us pursue unity in Christ with an attitude of humility, service, and sacrifice. As we close, let us summarize the points we have covered. First, Christ sacrificed his life for the unity of his people and the apostle Paul also suffered for it. The question is, are you willing to die to yourself and to suffer with others for the sake of unity in God's church? Second, by His grace, God gave us both the gifts of salvation and the gift of ministry. And The question is, how faithful are you in using your spiritual gifts to serve others and build up the body of Christ? Third, Paul modeled to us an attitude of humility in his life and ministry. Now, as you follow Christ and serve God's people, is humility also evident in your life? In what ways are you growing in this area? And finally, as believers, our unity in Christ displays the great beauty of God's wisdom. Now, the question is, does our unity, our, the present status of our unity in the body of Christ, does it honor God and glorify His name? Dear brothers and sisters, let us remember our lesson for today and let us find specific ways to apply it in our lives, in our family, in our community, and in our church. God made us stewards of the work of preaching the gospel of God's grace to unite all believers to be one in Christ. Therefore, let us pursue unity in Christ with an attitude of humility, service, and sacrifice. Let us pursue unity in Christ with an attitude of humility, service, and sacrifice. Let us pray. Father, we praise you for your wisdom. We praise you for your greatness. We praise you for your goodness, that out of your wisdom, your love, your mercy, your grace, you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, so that we can be one with the Jews your Chosen people, so that we as genders, we can be also part of your chosen people. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Help us not to forget the greatness of your mercy, the things that we have received from you, even though that we do not deserve it. Forgive us, O Lord, because many times we have forgotten how great, how gracious, how loving you are. And may you help us not to take for granted the gift of salvation that you have given us. Thank you also for the gift of ministry. Each of us, Lord, you have called us to pursue you. And uh, we ask, oh God, that you enable us to really take seriously your call to serve you, to serve the body, to be part of the body of Christ, to actively serve one another and to build up your kingdom. I pray that you empower us to give us opportunities, help us to find the means and the ways so that we can serve one another, so We can that we can carry each other's burden. Lord, as we preach the gospel, Give us boldness, give us wisdom, help us not to be ashamed of you, but help us to really be eager to represent Christ, to be a light and salt to the areas of influences that you have put us into. I pray, Lord God, for all of us here, for those of us who are sick, for those of us who are discouraged, for those of us who are wearied and tired, we ask, O Lord, for your mercy we ask, oh God, that you empower us. Encourage us, O Lord. We pray for your healing. Make us whole, physically and spiritually, emotionally. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. Help us to see you in the midst of our difficulties and suffering. Help us to run the race with endurance, to, to be joyful in the midst of our suffering. Surround us with people who would encourage us and inspire us to continue serving you, whatever it takes. Thank you, Lord, for your love, that for the sake of unity, you died. and the modeling of the Apostle Paul for the sake of unity, he also suffered and was imprisoned. Help us, Lord, to, to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you've given us. We pray, we, Lord, we pray for our leaders, for the leaders of our country, uh, for the leaders in the private sector and the public sector. Help us, Lord, to fully understand and to discern what is the best way to, to deal with this pandemic. And Lord, there are many things that uh, causes us disunity, um, different opinions, different uh, ideas. But I pray for the sake of Christ, help us, Lord God, to really pursue what is true, but pursue truth with love as well. May you help us, Lord God, to live a life of humility, to live a life of uh, gentleness, of love, of patience. Empower us, help us to live out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives so that you may be alone, be glorified, and enable us, Lord God, to be part of, building your church for your glory and your namesake. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this day, for this message. Empower us, O oh God, as we face another week. May your presence go with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.